friends, and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry, your host. So glad you're joining us. We're continuing our series on the interior castle of St. Teresa of Avila. It's her masterpiece. And this is the fifth podcast in the series. And today we're going to be talking about the all-important fourth dwelling place or the fourth mansion. And I'm so grateful to have a guest with me again today, Teresa Rittenhouse. She's a member of the Secular Order of Discalced Carmelites in Dayton, Ohio. Teresa, thank you for joining me again. How are you? Good morning, Francis. (laughs) Very good. Are you up for this talk? (laughs) I'm always ready to talk about the interior castle. (laughs) Oh, and I know that you have talked a lot about it in the past. Uh, You've led two formation classes on it for our community, which I'm so grateful for. Well, let's get at it. But of course, we want to start with prayer. Um, We found an opening prayer from a book called The Interior Journey Toward God by John Paul Thomas. I just love this book. So anybody who has already studied the interior castle and wants a nice supplement, I highly recommend interior journey toward God. So let's get recollected. And Teresa, if you wouldn't mind leading us in this prayer. I'll be happy to. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Most glorious Trinity, you dwell deep within me, within that deepest chamber of my soul. You dwell in the utmost radiance and beauty. If it be your holy will, please invite me deeper. Free me from the many attachments I still hold on to that keep me from your full splendor. I say yes to you and to all that you wish to do in my soul. Indwelling of the most holy trinity, I love you. I trust you. I surrender my life to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for leading us in that prayer. Well, today we are at a pivotal point of our transformation in God. We're transitioning from the natural to the supernatural life, from the active to the passive life, from what our work is to now God working in us. He dominates from the ascetical to the mystical, from death to self, to life in God. And from an energetic, active prayer to one of silence, attentiveness, listening, and adoration. Now, just as a quick preview or, or review, um, the first mansion was this, the soul was, you know, feeling like they wanted to turn toward God. They want to enter in it and they need to enter through prayer and it's sporadic prayer. They're deaf and mute, so they don't hear God as well. Um, the second mansion, they're making great progress. They can hear God's calls through people, through sermons, through books. Um, and the temptations are great because the devil doesn't want them to go forward. He wants to keep them back in the material world, world and in self. And so there's some real battles going on there. The third dwelling place at the third mansion um, these are really good Christians. They have a habit of prayer. They don't want to offend God. They, they lead great lives. Um, and yet they can get stuck here. As we talked about those who were the settlers who got stuck and then the pioneers who went forward and, and risked because the risk is that you're going into new territory. And so, um, it's important to be ready for that and to be willing to trust God working in your life. 
Now, I wanted to relate this mansion to the Our Father prayer. I just love how um, this one author, I'm trying to find the book in front of me right here, um, R. Thomas Richard. He wrote the book, The Ordinary Path to Holiness, and in it is this great chapter about the Our Father and how it relates to the interior castle and all the mansions. I, I also found it in an article online, but the book is so much richer. Um, but anyway, um, so how does this relate? When we get to the petition of give us this day our daily bread, that is the part of the prayer that is related to the fourth mansion. Now, why is that? That's because the Eucharist is the mystical, right? We're receiving Jesus mystically and people in the fourth mansion are hungry for God. And so the importance of the Eucharist comes, becomes more and more important. Um, and it's hunger for the word, for scripture, hunger for his presence, being with him in prayer. And the third mansion then would be forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The second mansion was about lead us not into temptation um, because we, we've already fought a lot of bot- battles and the temptations will maybe take us back. And so we need to um, watch out for the near occasions of sins. And um, the last petition was deliver us from evil. And of course, evil has trying to keep them back. So we do want that deliverance. So I just love that we can relate that to the Our Father prayer. And the other thing I want to add is when we pray the Our Father prayer and we get to that line, give us this day our daily bread, I want to issue you a spiritual challenge that you do a spiritual communion at that point. So you're praying the Our Father, pray it slowly. But when you get to give us this day our daily bread, just pause for just a second and Ask for a spiritual communion. Ask for Jesus to come spiritually into your heart and soul and your mind and your body. I think that is a great practice and it helps you to appreciate the Eucharist all the more. Okay, so now we're going into that fourth mansion. And Teresa, I hope you would be able to um, give us a description of what what is it like, uh, this fourth mansion? Well, this is the dwelling place which is marked with the beginning of that mystical supernatural prayer. Here, St. Teresa begins to explain what the prayer of quiet is like through her comparison of consolations in prayer versus the spiritual delight. The soul changes from just thinking about God to being for God, seeing self less and less and experiencing more and more of God within. Their faith is growing and is characterized by a much greater confidence in God, trusting in his divine providence and surrendering and relying on God alone. Their faith, which was previously characterized by following rules and laws, is now becoming more solidly based in love. Thinking much is evolving into loving much. Their faith now takes them beyond what their understanding can achieve, And there may also be times of darkness in prayer, as in what seems like meaningless, boring, unsatisfying prayer. But the soul here learns to be content in this darkness while true faith is growing, understanding that pure prayer involves a determined determination 
to be with God and not be attached to feelings that may come in the prayer. Just as souls were letting go of comforts in the material world in that second mansion, these souls are letting go of comforts in the world of prayer and are more sensitive and open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That's a great description. I especially loved where you said thinking much is evolving into loving much. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's let's mention just just take a couple subtitles of this mansion. What would you call them? A spiritual teenager. I love this. This is the budding stage. You know, in the first uh, dwelling, you're a seed, you're germinating. And in the second, you're a sprout. And in the third, uh, you're a seedling. But now here in the fourth, um, we're a budding plant. So we're beginning to live. We're beginning to sink these roots. Um, it's a place of transition and transformation, bridging over to an amazing new world. We're letting go, letting God. This is the contemplative life, consolations to spiritual delight, and infused by love in the prayer of quiet. It, it's a dilation of the heart. Longing for deeper intimacy and awareness of the desire for depth. And like St. John of the Cross describes, it's a night of the senses. And this is a mansion of quiet. And it's also the mansion of the beginning of the contemplative life with the grace of contemplation. So, But let's take a, another moment to review. I know I like to repeat this because it's really important to get this solidly in our head. In prayer, there's the active prayer where we do the work and then the passive prayer where God does the majority of the work. See, the active prayer is called natural prayer, discursive prayer, mental prayer, acquired prayer, or effective prayer, all those grades of prayer. In passive prayer, God begins to take over because we surrender to him more. It's a supernatural prayer. It's called infused contemplation, mystical prayer, or infused prayer. And I like to go to Carolyn Humphreys in her book, Ash to Fire. It's a great, more contemporary um, analogy of the interior castle. So again, it's Ash to Fire is the book by Carolyn Humphreys. And she talks about the criteria for assessing the difference between active and passive prayer. Because at this point in the middle, a lot of people aren't sure. And because sometimes if it's boring or hard, um, they want to give up prayer. And we do not ever want to give up prayer. That's important. Uh, Carolyn Humphreys says it depends on the attention, action, and emphasis of the human partner. That's how we discern whether it's active or passive prayer. Quote, if a person is engaging in any form of active participation, even in the smallest way, when communing with God, the prayer is active prayer. If the person is quietly aware of the presence of God, or if one feels as if one is being held by God or absorbed by him or suspended or immersed in him, the prayer is seemingly passive. Passive prayer is peaceful. It's an internal response where the heart is captivated by the divine presence. In active prayer, the person gives to God. In passive prayer, God gives to the person. Passive prayer is indeed mystical, for no speaking is involved here, only an attentive listening. 
It's a prayer of patience and waiting rather than a prayer of energy and power. End of quote. And so when a person goes to prayer, they may go in and out of active and passive, especially in this fourth mansion. You may start with, you know, meditation and then get into effective prayer and then acquired recollection and then slip into that infused recollection and then back out. So you're not solidly in one place at the beginning. And then you more and more uh, develop um, this contemplative stance that is being open to God's gift of infused prayer. So now, Teresa, will you tell us about the grades of prayer that that are discussed in the fourth dwelling place? Um, well, there's active recollection. That was from Third Mansion. An infused passive recollection. It's semi-contemplative. The prayer of quiet, uh, spiritual delight. The will is united with God's will. And prayer of sleep of the faculties, more intense than prayer of quiet. The intellect and the mind and the will are captive. And the memory and the ma- imagination and the five senses are deeply quieted and recollected, but are free to operate as needed. So in the, our introduction, we were talking about the parts of the soul, the exterior faculties and the interior faculties. And so when we talk about memory, intellect and will or imagination, these are the interior faculties. And when this kind of prayer, the sleep of the faculties, it's also called the prayer of inebriation or the sleep of the powers. You know, different theologians have different ways of referring to it. Uh, and Teresa briefly references it. She doesn't go into it in detail. But God will uh, so attract certain faculties of the soul that they would be called captivated or bound. And so that may come up again. Um, so let's let's focus now on this infused recollection. This is what Teresa talked about actually in the third man, uh, chapter of the fourth dwelling place. Um, she she did uh, the spirit of the uh, what is it? <laughs> the um, prayer of quiet. That's the word I'm trying to remember. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, she she talks about the prayer of quiet in the first couple of chapters, but in the third one, she talks about the prayer of infused recollection. But actually, that's a degree of prayer that happens before the prayer of quiet. And she says that. But um, for some reason, she she doesn't address that until the third chapter. So this infused recollection is the first degree of the infused mystical contemplation. And therefore, it is supernatural. Um, In St. Teresa's writing on the first fourth dwelling place this third chapter is lower than the degree of prayer that prayer of quiet or the spiritual delight that she discusses in the two chapters before and we will get to that um, but now we want to talk about infused recollection so let's get a clear definition of that word contemplation because in carmel we are talking about a degree of prayer we're not talking about the way the modern world talks about contemplating nature, or your navel, or the sea, or flowers, or uh, a problem. Uh, this is a degree of prayer that we're talking about. But John of the Cross gives us the best definition, I think. And um, th- this comes from John of the Cross's 
work called The Dark Night, um, book one, um, chapter 10. Contemplation is nothing else than a secret, peaceful, and loving inflow of God, which, if not hampered, fires the soul in the spirit of love. And St. Teresa says that this infused recollection or contemplation is a degree of supernatural prayer. And without wanting to, she says, the soul closes its eyes and desires solitude with God. So the soul enters within itself. And then at other times, she says, it rises above itself. In God's merciful love, he calls the soul back to him with a gentle shepherd's whistle, which helps the soul to recognize his voice and seek him within. So there's this gentle drawing inward. And the analogy Teresa gives us is like a hedgehog curling up or a turtle drawing into a shell. And it doesn't come when we want it. We can't make it happen. But only when God grants this favor to us. This infused recollection, Teresa says, is a preparation for being able to listen so that the soul, instead of striving to engage in discourse, strive to remain attentive and aware of what the Lord is working in it. So now to receive this gift of the prayer of infused recollection, to be predisposed to receive this gift (laughs) from God, love must be awakened. So Teresa, can you tell us how should the soul act in regard to this infused recollection, how to awaken love? Well, first, in this work of the spirit, the one who thinks less and has less desire to act does more. What we must do is beg like the needy poor before a rich and great emperor and then lower our eyes and wait with humility. You know, she always tells us to be humble, very always with humility. Call to mind that we are in God's presence and who he is. It's foolish to try to force this prayer. Forcing the mind to not think of anything may rouse the mind to think very much more. (laughs) So, you know, we need to get out of our own way. Yes. If we think God hears us, we must remain silent, listening to God. And if we don't know if God has heard us, let's continue with penance, good deeds, and prayer. And don't force anything. These interior works are all gentle and peaceful. Be resigned to God's will. And lastly, what is most essential and pleasing to God is that we are mindful of his honor and glory and that we forget ourselves and our own profit and comfort and delight. Not to focus on ourselves here. Yeah, we always say keep your eyes on Jesus. (laughs) All right, so. In the first and second chapter of the fourth dwelling place, St. Teresa teaches us about consolations and compares it with spiritual delights. Now, for those of you who are reading about interior castles or reading um, a translation of interior castles online, it's probably the older translations like by Piers. Um, his translation might confuse us when we get to this fourth dwelling place for these first two chapters. Because whereas the ICS publication, which I think is the best translation of Interior Castle, um, they talk about Teresa using consolations versus spiritual delights. 
Peters, however, says um, he used the term sweetness in place of consolation. And then instead of spiritual delight, then he uses spiritual consolation. So it can confuse somebody. So if you're not reading the um, ICS edition of the entire council, then um, this is going to really be confusing. <laughs> so I just wanted to point that out to you. The other thing that I wanted to point out is that when we talk about the consolations, that's what the word contentos. So the best translation of that is consolations. And then spiritual delights was gustos. And so um, the consolations are our devout feelings. And the spiritual delights is this grade of prayer, this prayer of quiet. And Teresa uses the metaphor of two founts. So this is important. She says, in the consolations, this is water that comes from the aqueducts. Um, it's, you know, the soul is working. So they're having to get the water through the aqueducts. In the spiritual delights, the source of the water is present. And it's like a, a pool that just gets larger and larger and larger, expanding the heart and soul, right? Um, so that's what she means about these uh, two founts. Now, um, we so we're going to talk about first what the consolations are like. These are devout feelings. And then, and I'll let you do that part, okay, Teresa? And then I'll follow up talking about the spiritual delights, okay? Um, in these consolations, these are natural, acquired, consoling sensations that evolve from prayer, meditation, leading a God-centered life, or engaging in good works that assist others. These experiences we acquire ourselves with our human effort through our own meditations and petitions to the Lord. They proceed from our own nature, our own efforts. And although God does have a hand in this, since without him we can't do anything, and our experience in the heart. They arise from virtuous work itself that we perform, may be mixed with our own human nature, our temperament, our passions, loud sobbing, uncontrollable body movements and nosebleeds. <laughs> um, seems like we have earned them through our own effort and are rightly consoled for having engaged in such deeds. The heart may actually constrict, like when one starts to with tears of joy and ends with a headache. The tears are brought on by our own passions. We experience these same consolations in many things, and she gives us examples. When someone suddenly inherits a great fortune, when we see a person we love very much, and when we succeed in a large and important business matter, and when you see someone alive after being told uh, that they were dead, you know, we're happy, we're, 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 totally consoled. Yes, a great consolation. <laughs> so, exactly. Um, there's a flow of tears. They may result from these consolations. And if coming from God are more noble. And lastly, these consolations, we remember, they begin in self, our own human nature, and they end in God with the desire to please God and enjoy his majesty's company. Right. So that gives us an idea of what the soul is working on and these consolations, these good feelings that happen uh, or tears. And now 
I want to talk about the spiritual delight. So this is the mystical. And this is where God is acting in the soul. This is the prayer of quiet, the analogy of the spring that's deep within. So delights are infused mystical gifts from God coming directly from God. It's given by God to our spirit. And then the heart is enlarged and expanded. The heart's flooded with God, drawing us into deeper intimacy with God. Um, it's felt and enjoyed more than consolations. That's a big difference. It's the beginning of infused contemplative prayer. Therefore, we see that because it comes from God, it is supernatural. We may experience quietness, sweetness, and peace. They are experienced in the interior, not just the exterior, but specifically interiorly. It flows out from the soul to the other mansions, to the other faculties, and into the body. And we can't imagine them, these, uh, the spiritual delight. Um, the will, you know, one of the faculties of the, in, the uh, soul, the interior faculties, the will is united in some way with God's will. And this prayer cannot be acquired through our own efforts. We can't initiate it. We can only predispose ourselves to receive this gift. So it begins in God. And it ends in ourself. So it's a pure gift of God whenever, however, and as frequently or as few times as God deems best for you. <laughs> now, Teresa then goes on to caution us. She says, we shouldn't strive for these. We shouldn't try to make them happen because the actual striving for them will actually be a hindrance. So, okay, so Teresa then gives us Six reasons that we should not strive for the consolations or favors in prayer, because this is the best way to receive it, is to not strive. Can you list what uh, Teresa Vavala tells us about this? Well, absolutely. And she says, love God purely without self-interest. You know, <laughs> um, it is a lack of humility to think our services can obtain something so great. And we're to embrace Christ crucified, the, his willingness to suffer and imitate his life. is It's the truest preparation for a, nat uh, a nature and to mature our spiritual life. God is not obliged to grant us any favors or gifts. Um, we're to remember that. We're not owed anything. <laughs> um, we should never feel like we're laboring in vain. God gives to whom he wants, when he wants, and as often as he wants. Remember, he knows us best. And if we strive for consolations and delights, we may actually become attached to them. And they will become an obstacle to us because we'll be so attached to them that we'll not get the goal that we want with the union with God. So always remember, be humble. And be detached. And and so we can make ourselves prepared for God's gifts. Yeah, when we're attached to these favors, then that's really a form of pride and actually blocks God's working in us. So once we've done our part to recollect ourselves and to give ourselves to God, then he takes us after at, at our word, actually. And then 
may give us this prayer of quiet. And of course, as we've said, this is a supernatural mystical state out of our control. We can only predispose ourselves, as you said. It's a pure gift that we can only receive with thanksgiving. Hopefully we recognize <laughs> when we receive the gift, ask the Holy Spirit to help. Thus it is God who is active and we who are passive. Um, and I just kind of want to describe the effects of this prayer through several categories. First, through the in the soul. The soul is at peace and is very close to God here and has a deep satisfaction and even may be overwhelmed by joy and delight. The faculty of the will is in captivity, which means God has grabbed it. And and so the will's attention is fastened on God because he's grabbed it. He's bound it. The will is united with God and is simply loving. Now, the faculty of the memory is free to roam, but it has no desire to busy itself with more. So so it's it's leaning toward what the will is caught up with. The mind is also free to roam, and it tries to occupy itself with just one thing. Um, the thoughts do come and go. You might get some distractions. And so we're supposed to just, when we recognize that we have been caught up in a distraction, instead of getting angry, because that's a very prideful response, we are weak. And so we, we beg God's help, and we gently come back to focusing on the presence of God within. So the body, what is the, what's happening to the body in the prayer of quiet? The body is resting and um, it's experiences this great delight. And sometimes people don't want to move. They don't even want to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> and they might just, might just say a word or two like, like Jesus or Jesus, Mary, or, you know, come Holy Spirit. But they don't want to be verbose here, <laughs> okay, when you're in this prayer of quiet. So I hope that gives you an indication of what to look for, um, how to discern um, a, about this kind of prayer. Um, so that gives you an idea of the effects of the prayer of quiet. Um, hopefully it's giving you more clarity. Um, so Teresa of Avila is talking about the soul being at peace very close to God and conscious of this deep satisfaction and being overwhelmed with joy and delight and that the faculties of the soul are being stilled with the will being captive. And I, I point that out because as we get into the fifth, sixth and seventh mansions, other faculties will be captivated. And so um, it's important for us to understand God is binding only the will here while the memory and the intellect are free to wander. Binding again means that the faculty of the soul can't function or operate on its own. Uh, their inability to function allows God to act in the soul. So this is a good thing. As supernatural prayer progresses, God binds more of the faculties and even the exterior senses. And that's what we see when somebody goes into ecstasy is when all of the interior and exterior senses are bound. So now, Teresa, here comes a question. <laughs> What signs should the soul look for to recognize that God is calling them to this prayer of quiet? So how are we to know that we've come to the point in our prayer life in which we're being called, okay, stop, 
discursive meditation. Stop using your head so much. Stop using the intellect so much and begin practicing this prayer of faith where, you know, you're gazing at God. It may be exteriorly, but specifically, I think, interiorly gazing at him in adoration, in love. Um, There's three sets uh, or, or three signs, rather, that John of the Cross gives us to let us know when it's time to leave discursive meditation. Can you tell us what these three signs are? I I think it's from the Ascent of Mount Carmel. Um, It's book two, chapter 13, paragraphs two through four, in case somebody wants to look it up. John of the Cross, Ascent of Mount Carmel, book two, chapter 13, paragraphs two through four. While he writes, the first sign is the realization that one cannot make discursive medication nor receive satisfaction from it as they had before. This emptiness must not be due to lukewarmness or to physical difficulties or sin. Um, The second sign, it's an awareness of the disciplined inclination to fix the imagination or sense faculties upon other particular objects, exterior or interior. And the third and the surest surest sign is that a person likes to remain alone in lovingly awareness of God without particular considerations, in interior peace and repose, in a general loving awareness and knowledge. Yeah, and general loving awareness and knowledge of God. And all three of these signs must be present simultaneously to indicate when it's safe to give up discursive meditation. And, you know, one day you'll have those three signs and maybe another day you will have none of them because our emotions and our moods and our situations in our life may may change. Um, So we have to uh, try to understand these signs. But, you know, an easy way to remember this is what I think Father Foley told us he said well it's i can't meditate i don't want to meditate and all (laughs) i want to do is sit quietly in god's presence okay we can remember that so you don't have to remember all the verbiage from john the cross you can simply say okay i can't meditate even if i'm trying it's it's work instead of being fed and being enlightened it's work it's hard um and i don't want to meditate because this is not getting me anywhere. I'm frustrated. And then all all three must be present. All I want to do is sit in God's presence. So you're not saying I want to give up. You're saying, I just want to sit here and be with God. You yeah. close the book. <laughs> shut your eyes. Just just dwell in him. So I just love that Father Foley, um, who is a discount Carmelite friar, um, he wrote a book on John of the Cross. And um, I think the book is called The Ascent of Mount Carmel Reflections. And that's at ICS Publications. So um, he he nailed it. I was like, thank you for saying that. That was so much easier. There's another book that I like to refer to um, in talking about the Terrier Castle. And it's um, The Practice of Contemplation According to John of the Cross. And it's by James W. Kinn, K-I-N-N. The Practice of Contemplation according to John of the Cross. And he gives several counsels um, 
that I think are helpful. So I brought him up for our conversation today. He says, when we are not yet experiencing contemplation or this prayer of quiet or infused recollection regularly, but at times meditate discursively, we should do that. So pray as you can, not as you can't, right? St. John the Cross gives us a different answer once we reach the passive night of the sense and actual infused contemplation when he urges us never to go back to regular discursive meditation. So that's actually the second set of signs um, that is found in the dark night. Um, But I'm not going to go into that right now. It's it's very similar. But when we feel like we're getting nowhere in prayer, dry without consolation we feel helpless alone or useless we we think our prayer is empty we're really getting a sense of our insufficiency and poverty even when we're being very dedicated to our times of prayer that is like a a dark contemplation it's a purifying contemplation so we are not to give up praying especially then because it's being a very fruitful so we just keep making the effort it's like in flexing your spiritual faith muscles all the more. And as your faith is more and more purified, you're more open and your heart is dilated more and you're more receptive to God. Um, James Kinn also in his book gives us five points of encouragement. Teresa, would you please uh, share those with us? Well, he says the simple prayer of faith is an integral part of the development of prayer. It is natural and it's necessary. Um, This is the only way to be prepared for the rest of the journey. We must first become deaf, blind, mute, empty, and helpless in terms of all of our natural faculties. Only then will we be perfectly open and receptive to the transforming grace of God. That's a very important point. So that's the second point you made. Mute, empty, helpless, deaf, blind in your natural faculty. So that's uh, spiritual poverty. Yes, yes, exactly. You nailed it. Thank you. All right. Let's go to the third point. The negative part of this experience is the failure of our reason and will is connected to the positive part, the new action of God and his immediate presence. The negative one appears only so the positive one may grow. And um, John points the way to where we are going so that we can at least rationally see the light at the end of the tunnel. Even though it seems like God's presence is imperceptible, in time, God's new kind of presence will increase slowly, tenuously, eventually surging up from the depths of our, our, our very being. And so the more that we are in prayer and are receptive and receive these gifts of infused recollection or prayer of quiet, the more we'll be able to recognize it and um, be better predisposed for it. And so he's got one more point here, which is a critical point. (laughs) Says the one virtue most necessary, and that is the total trust in God. Our fundamental stance before God is one of poverty of spirit, which I had mentioned, and all the spiritual life. That is, we cannot depend on anything of our own, not our own efforts, merits, good works. We are simply nothing, empty, only dependent before God. 
Only this poverty of spirit makes us totally open and respect and receptive to God's grace. And St. John of the Cross identifies the spirit of poverty with darkness, emptiness, and detachment. And we might add powerlessness. <laughs> okay, so I got a big question for you, Teresa. When we find ourselves in this dark place, in this powerlessness, what should we do? Persevere patiently in prayer <laughs> in a simple loving attentiveness to God without trying to force ourselves to say or do or feel anything. Only our effort is to just remain at rest, quiet. We do little more than just wait and watch and love and endure patiently. We deliberately refrain from sensible images, rational thoughts and affections, and we freely commit ourselves to this inner austerity of prayer, which is the only way to reach God in a new way, in this new way of prayer. I just have this thought of St. Mary Magdalene at the foot of the cross, seeing Jesus crucified there. And, you know, she can't, she can't say, do, or, or feel anything. I mean, the sorrow is so great. She's numb probably with, with all of that. So she just remains there waiting, watching in love. And so, so should we, right? And I, absolutely, mother, she's, she is standing at the foot of the cross. She's not falling down. She is standing. Um, she understands God's plan. Um, and this had to be. And so she's surrendering, accepting. She's not running away. Mary Magdalene's not running away. The disciple now, St. John, he is not running away. They are there. And so when we're in this painful prayer, it's a good sign. You may not understand it. You may not see it. But yes, uh, it's a beautiful form of prayer just to be there. And as you said, only this poverty of spirit is is that which makes us totally open and receptive to God's grace. That's really important. So spiritual poverty. So again, the natural progression of prayer then is from like vocal prayer to discursive mental prayer to more effective prayer, which is of the emotions, the love, um, to a simpler prayer. And then of this infused or acquired recollection, then infused recollection, and then to the um the quiet, passive prayer, the spiritual delight. So now that leads me to another question. And this is an important one that John of the Cross really presses in on. He, So why must all those natural activities cease in order for contemplation to replace them? Well, the reason is that contemplation is, is a new and transcendent way of experiencing God that is contrary to the natural way of of knowing. And two contraries cannot coexist in one subject at the same time. I remember reading John of the Cross works and and that two contraries cannot exist in one subject at the same time really struck me. And John of the Cross was really good about saying, know this, or this should be known. If you (laughs) see that in his writings, you, you really need to pay attention. I always highlighted that really big. (laughs) So 
what is this infused contemplation? Well, it is God's overwhelming light. God is light. It's in scripture. God is light. But this light is too strong for us, for our faculties, and it overpowers the capacity of our souls. So as a result, the soul then experiences God's light as darkness. If you think about um, a car coming at you, they got their brides on. It's so bright, it's hard to see, right? You have to look away because it's hurting your eyes. Well, infused contemplation, even though it's overwhelming us, <clears throat> it does expand the capacity of our soul and it leads the soul from this perceived darkness to now perceiving light. So we get acclimated, right? The sensual aspects of prayer which would be like the consolations, uh, the spiritual thoughts, the emotions, they're absent. But God is enlightening the soul's interior faculties, even though the soul does not experience it. So God's infused contemplation, it's too spiritual for the soul to enjoy at this point. However, later on, that'll change. So the soul must stay faithful to God in prayer, even though it feels like it cannot pray. And this is so important. So many really good Christians give up prayer when they hit this. They feel like they've hit a roadblock. But this is actually an invitation to a deeper prayer. So this prayer of faith is that which unites the soul directly to God without using any forms or images. You know, we have a preconceived idea of, of who God is. And that needs to be cleaned up. <laughs> we, <laughs> Disperse with our ideas of who God is so that he may reveal himself and we come to the knowledge of who he truly is. So now what would be um, some signposts that you have received this authentic gift of the prayer of quiet? I We pulled these from um, a book, that book that I mentioned earlier by Carolyn Humphreys from ash to fire and she's got six signposts so Teresa could you tell us these six signposts well the number one the familiar ways of prayer and meditation are difficult if not impossible and number two God is experienced as a whole total being not conceptualized like God is love God is all-powerful etc and three, we feel dry. And when we think of God as his created things, we experience desolation, distaste, and discomfort. And four, we have a strong desire to be alone and a perpetual need for prayer. And five, during times of passive prayer, there are no thoughts of problems, pains, worries, trials, troubles, anything like that, etc., yeah, because your focus is on God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and six, when emerging from prayer, everything is put into its proper perspective in relation to God and the things of God. God is most important in all restless desires and urgent longings and unanswered questions take on an insignificance that was unknown before. So hopefully from what we've shared with you, um, you can get an understanding of these degrees of prayer, this infused recollection, which is the incipient signs of contemplation, a mystical prayer, to this spiritual delight. And 
you have the signposts that help you understand when you should leave discursive prayer and, and try to enter into this loving awareness, attentiveness to God. And then these signposts that you just mentioned um, are also re- helping us to understand, yes, this is where God is placing me at this time. And then what are the effects? The effects of the prayer of kite. Can you give us some indication of what what is going to happen now? How do we change because of this prayer of quiet or the infused recollection from earlier? Well, the soul it delights in God. And that soul's delight comes from God himself. It's just beautiful. Um, the soul overcomes fears. Although she now fears God more than ever, she has lost all servile fear and has confidence that she will be in heaven. She no longer fears bodily sickness. She desires the greatest austerities and has faith that she can accept any future trial. And having seen God's greatness, she now sees her own lowliness. Having tasted God's delight, she easily despises all earthly consolations. Um, I love that, that she no longer fears. Uh, You know, she she only sees... She's trusting in God more. Um, She relishes God's presence and may experience spiritual inebriation. And this effect may accompany prayer and can last for a couple days, even though um, she will fulfill their exterior duties. So it's this interior spiritual inebriation. (laughs) I remember asking... uh... Father Chowning, one of our Discalced Carmelite Friars, I said, can you receive this prayer of quiet or this in, infused contemplation and go go about doing the dishes or, you know, doing your chores or teaching or whatever? And he says, why, yes. And, I, and you know, that really, oh, well, I got to go back and read this and see how <laughs> this can be possible. And it's like you can be Martha and Mary at the same time, you know, the the scripture passage about Martha and Mary. Martha's busy in the kitchen doing stuff and Mary is sitting at the knees of Jesus. Well, and in this case, you can be Martha doing what you're supposed to do throughout the day. And yet interiorly, you are Mary at the feet of Jesus. I I just love that. I'm so glad Father Channing pointed that out to me. So uh, some of the other things that are an effect of the prayer of quiet is that, of course, the dilation of the heart, okay, um, and a greater detachment from personal honors, uh, a greater simplicity, even a desire for humiliation and penance, well, that's a key indicator, um, <laughs> a greater facility in God's service, uh, a, a desire to serve, right? Um, and then, um, I think one of the the primary fruit, what Teresa of Avila tells us, the primary fruit of the prayer of quiet is simply love. And she says, well, you might want to know what spiritual love consists of. Excuse me. And she says, first of all, um, spiritual love is a determination to please God in all things. Secondly, you want to avoid anything that would offend God. And thirdly, pray and work 
for an increase of the honor and glory of God and the growth of his church. So love at this level loses all its self-interest and is becoming far greater in its sacrificial selflessness and self-giving love. So it's beautiful effects. And if those effects describe you as a listener, thanks be to God. May he be glorified <laughs> and praised. But now, St. Teresa of Avila, in the third chapter, the last half of the third chapter of the fourth dwelling place, she gives us some warnings about what is true prayer, what is what is not true prayer. So, Teresa, can you give us a couple ideas of what she's talking about? What what warnings do we have about this? Well, just as a mother, she's she always, you know, lifts us up and then she always tells us what to watch out for. So sometimes a person will feel a consolation along with physical weakness and mistake it for deep prayer when in actuality, it's excessive hours of prayer, penance, and keeping vigils that so physically weaken them um, that they kind of fall into a stupor. Well, that's not a prayer. Um, And then she says, um, what do we mean by absorption? Uh, What are we talking about here? It's a self-induced trance. It's not healthy. That's not prayer. It's not sleep. It's just zoning out. You know, we, we need to be careful of this. Um, yeah, a lot of people, they get into these self-induced states and they think that they're mystical now. And and uh, so I'm so glad Teresa of Avila is pointing these out. And some of them aren't intentionally induced, but they get into it. And, but the intention is on self rather than on yes. God. So um, we got to watch for these false consolations, these false absorptions. Absolutely. Um, it's a, it, well, and it becomes an obstacle, you know, instead of strengthening our prayer, it weakens us and mm-hmm. it weakens the person. And, uh, sometimes they fall into a swoon and, uh, you know, their meditation practices are, are similar, you know, to, to true prayer. But once again, you know, it's just, it's not true prayer. We, yes. we need to be. Uh, vigilant with ourselves absolutely she says when people are doing these self-induced states and absorption and swooning and zoning out maybe they need to uh uh go out and do some physical labor <laughs> go out and serve the monastery <laughs> you know uh get away from the the practice of prayer in this sense because it, it is uh it's a danger rather than a help so until they can get off of that kind of prayer and into true prayer, um, she wants to distract them. <laughs> Absolutely. She also warns us about people with weak heads. That's what she <laughs> weak heads and active imagination. She says, these souls seem to see everything they think about. <laughs> so if you're thinking about the Holy Spirit, they think they've seen the Holy Spirit or they think, you know, they have an image of of the crucified Jesus in their head and they're hearing, you know, some, some words that they're actually creating. They're thinking that Jesus is telling them. So, you know, it's really a delusion 
And, and of course, the evil one wants to help this delusion because um, if he can keep you deluded or have false sense of prayer, then, you know, you won't be progressing. So those are That's really good things to watch. In fact, that leads us to um, <clears throat> battles that we have in prayer in this fourth mansion. And I always like referring to Dan Burke's book, The Devil in the Castle. Uh, I like how he summarizes those and he he lists um, these very clearly. Um, some I've added to, but he says the devil wants us to worry about distractions we have during prayer. And, you know, sometimes people get distractions. They get all upset and you know, like, I can't pray and they get all emotional. You know, just simply just come back to God. Just keep flexing your spiritual muscles. Keep coming back because to get all upset is really a sense of spiritual pride and that, oh, I ought to be praying better. I'm too good to be having all these you know, distractions. I've worked so hard. I shouldn't have distractions. <laughs> no, no, that's not the case. The devil also wants the soul to get discouraged and to give up this practice of daily prayer. So if you're having that dry, arid, dark, painful, you know, dark contemplation, you know, don't give up because that is purifying. And for people to give up at that stage is to give up this opportunity to to be cleansed and purified by God. And then the devil wants to tempt the soul with spiritual pride regarding our prayer life. Um, you know, if you get into that swooning and that self-induced zoning out, <laughs> that, that definitely uh, is a temptation to spiritual pride. Um, look at me. Um, God is so touching me in prayer. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> the problem is looking at me rather than at God, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And then the devil wants to tempt the soul to sin or to imperfections. Well, he's always trying to do that at, at any rate. But the more we progress through the mansions, uh, the lesser his temptations affect us. In fact, his temptations become opportunities for us to merit reward or to grow in grace and favor because we we are being battle worthy now we're not beginners in battle now we we've had many battles that um we've come to this point so uh, the temptations are going to be there but now they're for our good and then finally the devil also wants to tempt with these false consolations um you know some people really um do up the smelling of the roses and the tears. And really it's, you know, some of that is self-induced. And um, so we just want to point that out. So people are careful. So um, this is a great place, this fourth dwelling place. Um, but you have to be willing to um, give up what is known to go to the unknown because you don't know how, God is working in you. Teresa, thanks be to God, he gave her all these experiences and knowledge to write about them so that we, in reading them, you know, we may not understand them when we read them, but maybe once we've experienced it, we go back and reread it and we're like, oh, now I get it. And so she gives us all these guidelines, what to look for, what uh, graces to be on watch for how to predispose ourselves to receive these graces, what not to do, what are the problems, what temptations is the devil going to, to give us possibly. And we also know that we still may not stay in one mansion. You know, we still may go in and out of them, but we're primarily 
uh, in one area. Um, but it, everything works to uh, the glory of God, provided we respond favorably to his call. So I hope this conversation has been helpful to our listeners. Of course, we invite you to get my favorite version of the entire castle is the study edition put out by ICS Publications. And um, it's the St. Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle, the study edition, because it has a nice summary of each chapter and then reflections and questions so that you can help you to understand what it is you're reading. So um, I hope it's been helpful. Do you have any closing comments for us, Teresa? Persevere. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Persevere and love and, and, and get to know God. He is, he is with us and he's just waiting for us to, to reach out to him. And he's calling us. So we reach out, but he's already grabbing and pulling us. That's right. We just have to be willing to go along. So (laughs) it takes a lot of detachment, humility and surrender. Surrender for sure. All right. With that, we've come to um, the end of our discussion on the fourth mansion. And um, so we, as always, we'd like to close with prayer. And again, we've, we've picked a prayer from the interior journey toward God by John Paul Thomas. So Teresa, would you please lead us in this prayer? Yes. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. God of pure delight. As I rest in you, allowing my will to become absorbed by yours, I sense your powerful and transforming presence. For this, I thank you with all my heart. Please keep me from any deceptions of the devil and so that I will never run after false delights, but always remain firmly grounded in you and in you alone. Indwelling of the most holy trinity, I love you. I trust you. I surrender my life to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for joining us in Carmelite Conversations. Thank you, Teresa. I love discussing this entire castle with you. It's just wonderful. Our next podcast in this series will be on the Fifth Mansion. Um, and all of these previous podcasts on the entire castle can be found at www.carmeliteconversations.com. So until we meet again, God bless and keep praying.